Hi, this is Matt Stagliano, and thanks for being part of the Artist Forge. We're a community of creatives who help each other think like an artist by discussing creativity as a process instead of a skill or a talent. We believe everyone has what it takes to create something amazing, we just need some encouragement and inspiration along the way. What you're about to hear is a live recording of one of our daily discussions on the Clubhouse app. If you like what you hear, I encourage you to join our private Facebook group or visit us on the web at theartistforge.com. Now on to the show. All right, y'all. It's time. It's time to say good morning and welcome to Morning Walk with the Artist Forge. My name is Nicole York. I'm going to be your host this morning. Today we are talking about something a little esoteric and nebulous. It should be a really interesting conversation. I'm hoping that we'll have a great one today and hopefully the friends in the audience today will want to come up and chat with us because yesterday as I was working on the blog for the most recent podcast that's up on the Artist Forge website, I found a great little cover image that had a neon sign that said, we are all stories. And I thought, yeah, we are, except it feels like there's something more than that. And so I wrote something up real quick that said, all we are is stories and stardust. And the thought process behind that, we've talked about it lots of times, but the thought process behind that is a question about what we really are. I mean, if I were to ask you who you are, you wouldn't necessarily give me your physical statistics, right? If I were to say, Matt, who are you? You wouldn't say, well, I am a dark haired man. <laughs> okay, that doesn't really tell me much. Most of us connect who we are to the stories that we've told ourselves about ourselves, about our past, about our memories, about our experiences. And those stories become, in a way, the, the software design of our personalities, of our id, right, of our ego, of who we believe we are on the inside. And most of the time, these things are built and these stories get told without much input from us. From the time that we're little, we're surrounded by environmental factors that influence how we think. We're surrounded by our tribe, our family, our friends, our local communities, our specialty communities, if we do things like play sports. And all of those people have some influence over the stories that we tell ourselves about who we are. But hopefully, we get to a point in our lives where we start to take a little bit more control over those stories. We don't just allow the narrative to pop up and be influenced by everything that's going on around us. We take a little bit of control and shift that narrative to become the version of ourselves that we want to be. And it's been said that the event is less important than the story we tell ourselves about it. And you can see that really clearly when you take multiple people, have them experience the exact same thing, and they come away with entirely different stories about it. If you were to have us all bungee jump, some of us would be like, this was the best experience of my life. I was scared, I pushed past my fear. I know that I can do anything. It was a rush. Others of us would be like, that is the most terrifying thing that's ever happened to me and I'm never going near height ever, ever again. So a big part of this, of course, is influenced by our genetics, our stardust, right? And it's pretty cool to think about the fact that what makes us up as physical creatures is the same thing that is spinning through the galaxy, <laughs> um, creating worlds, right? So we're this really interesting combination of physical and you could say spiritual, you could say um, supernatural, really all just depends on what kind of framing you like. But once we know that, and once we think about the fact that at our core, we really are who we tell ourselves we are, all of a sudden that opens up, man, everything. So I'm really interested to talk about how we get to the core of our identity, how we influence our thoughts on the things that happen to us, because particularly right now, looking at the way 
people are responding to the current situation, the way things have been incredibly divisive, friends and family really having big breaks in their bonds is difficult to watch, it's difficult to see. And so much of that comes from the lens through which we view the world. And of course, that lens is built by our experiences and the stories we tell ourselves about them. So as artists, this is a really cool area for us to explore, partly because it is so nebulous, but also because no one has access to our insides but us, which means we're the only one who can tell these stories that make us who we are. So, so I realize this is kind of a, a little bit esoteric and a little bit nebulous, but I wanted to bring it up and just see what everybody thought and uh, how we think about these things individually and then also kind of as a community. So if you had anything pop into your head as I was rambling away, I would love to hear, I'd love to hear it. It's, it's like, it's like you designed this whole hour for me. Um, <laughs> I, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go on some big, long soliloquy about this, but I love this. I love, I love getting people to think about essentially consciousness, right? And the difference between the physical world and the metaphysical world. And the way that I've always kind of thought of it is there was a <laughs> stick with me here. Um, there's that scene in Star Wars where <laughs> Obi-Wan and Luke are looking over Mos Eisley and he's like, this is the, the most vile hive of scum and villainy, right? Something to that effect. And I think of it like that. You can stay in this small little town surrounded by, you know, all of this um, negative emotion and negative feeling. And you can sit there in the cantina and you can order your drinks and just kind of stew in negativity and all the stuff that's happening around you. And it's all noise and it's all pollution. Or you can get up outside of the city, sit on a mountaintop and see how clear things really are. And that's what happens when you start thinking about who you are rather than where you fit, right? Because they're two different things. Who you are transcends everything. And it, it, it transcends what people think about you, where you are in your life, what you've done. But if you stay stuck and grounded in what other people think and what's going on around you and not staying core to who you are as a person, then growth is impossible. Clarity is impossible. Um, peace and tranquility is impossible. And so when I started on my particular journey of trying to figure out, all right, what's the difference between me, capital M me, and this meat bag that I live in, I, I had to start asking some really hard questions. And I had to separate myself from a lot of what was happening around me. I had to get myself out of that cantina, out of that village, out of that negativity and get up onto, you know, a higher, um, a higher point, a higher vantage point. That comes with a lot of work, of trying to quiet the mind, of trying to separate yourself from some old beliefs, of just trying to figure out what those old beliefs are. And once we can get there, then the work really starts on self-satisfaction, on knowing who you are, on understanding what it is that you bring to the world. But I love the fact that you started with, you know, that we're all stardust because it's essentially it. The consciousness question has not been solved. We can hint around it, but it hasn't been solved. So um, that's just kind of the way that I've looked at all of this. You can stay down in that polluted area or you can rise above it. But knowing that rising above it, you could very well be alone or it could be a lonely journey um, until you find those people around you that are also at the mountaintop and you get to hang out with them. And that's really cool. So I hope that... that <laughs> kind of brought a little bit of light to what I think about. Um, what do you think about that, Nicole? I actually really love that. And I think it's so interesting um, to think about the fact that where we stand and our kind of relative position has such an influence on what we see and what we perceive. And 
I know it's been quite a while since we've had this conversation, but we talked months and months ago about the fact that we are essentially living uh, in a VR headset, right? Your brain doesn't have access to things outside of your brain. It's basically an organ that's in a little black box and it has no outside access except its ability to interpret electrical signals. And that interpretation is highly dependent upon us and upon um, our, our, our relative position. And, and bringing relativity into it is really interesting because you know, if you're standing at a train station watching a train go by um, versus if you're on the train moving down, I mean, those, those two different positions give you a different understanding of the environment that you're in. And so often I think you're right that we do get really stuck where we're at and we don't always take the trouble to bring ourselves to the mountaintop or to somewhere where we really can get a good view of what's going on and see a little bit more clearly and um, recognizing the role that that plays in the stories that we tell ourselves. I, I've encouraged people to travel kind of as often as I can. I, I think that being able to get outside of where you currently live and where most of your experiences has been can be so incredibly formative for who you are as a person because it challenges the things that you take for granted. It challenges that position that you that you grew up in, the kind of um, the kind of factory settings in your headset, right? That were built from the time you were little without much influence from you. So I love that idea of really first recognizing that we are malleable. And I know we've talked about that before, but we don't ever have to stay the person that we are right now. Um, we get to change, we get to choose. And knowing that and then recognizing the difference in your position and how you view the world can change who you are. And so much of that is under your control, which for me is really incredibly um, comforting, to be quite honest. Me pressing buttons and shifting around. Sorry about that. Yeah, you know, the, the vantage point thing, the relativity, if you want, it's, it's really interesting when you can separate yourself and stand back and look at both vantage points, be aware of both vantage points, right? Am I on the train or am I observing the train, for example? You understand that everything around you is different and all it is is perception, right? We perceive the environment around us in a certain way based on our own beliefs, on the beliefs of others, on the environmental factors. We perceive where we are and what we're doing as you know, a movie, it's the VR headset that you were talking about. And that perception can change depending on where you are, or who you're around or what you're doing. And with that understanding comes, oh, I can change my reality anytime I want. I can get on the train, I can get off the train, I can look at it from this, you know, vantage point, I can hang around with these people, whatever it is. But I love the fact that we all have this power to be able to change that vantage point anytime we want. There is no one holding us down. Hopefully you're not in a closet somewhere listening to this. Um, but you know, no one holds us down or holds us back except for ourselves and our perception of where we are and what we're doing and our own limitations and the own box that we're in or the meat bag that we're in. All of these things are perceptions. And most of the time we're too cluttered or thinking too hard about what's right in front of us to step back and look at all the options that we really have, the options of the ways that we want to live our life or treat others or be with people or build our careers or treat our bodies, right? We have the ability to change that anytime we want, but a lot of times you have to step back and see the different options in front of you before you can choose one. A lot of times that's where the confusion happens is we don't give ourselves that opportunity, that quiet mind to observe a lot of that. Yeah, agreed. And I think um, I, I have heard this attributed to Einstein. I don't know if it's true or not, but there's this quote attributed to him that's, you know, the most important decision you can make is whether you live in a friendly or a hostile universe. And to, to couch that in the terms that it's your decision is just really incredible to me because of course it does 
it does insinuate that there's this idea of kind of radical responsibility, right? And a lot of people will push back against that because they recognize the truth of bad situations, right? And um, the last thing I would want is for anybody to think that this conversation means that the truth or the, the experience of situations um, has no effect. Like when you go through difficult things, you absolutely respond to those situations. And nobody is trying to say that the situation itself is good or bad. But so much of what we take away from those things is going to depend upon how we see them and where we view them from and what stories we choose to tell ourselves. And when we repeat things to ourselves over and over, they really do become the framework that we use to see everything else. And so if I were, you, you know what, you can use even just a home, your home as an example. Somebody who has grown up in mansions all over the world would probably see my house as really kind of pathetic. Um, and somebody else who never got to live in middle America suburbia would probably see my house as a pretty outstanding place to live. And the house didn't change, just the lens through which you view it change. And we have control over that, even though it doesn't seem like we do. We get to tell ourselves the things that we believe to be true and repeat them often enough that they become part of the programming. And a really great example of this is my mom. I love my mom so much, um, but she has certain things that she very much, you know, she clings on to them. And so one of those things is she really, she hates the Southwest. She hates the Southwest. She doesn't like Colorado. Um, she's a, a Washingtonian. She wants, you know, lots of trees and she wants ferns and she wants lots of green things, but she will complain about the rain and she will complain about not being able to go outside for half the year. And when she comes to visit me, she cannot bring herself to allow that love of all the green stuff to be what it is and still find beauty in other things for her. Being able to find the beauty at home means that other things can't compare, not that they can be beautiful on their own. And for me, having lived in a lot of different places, I've done some of the work because I, I don't get to leave here. I'm here for now. I'm here until the foreseeable future. Unless I want to be miserable, I need to find a way to look at what I've got around me as something beautiful to be enjoyed. And that's a choice I get to make because... I don't get to change my physical perspective, but I can change the lens that I'm using to see things. And so that's another way that maybe we can think about this whole question of asking ourselves who we are and how we influence who we are and how we see everything around us. And it's a lot of work. I mean, that's, it's not as if you can just go, well, I decide to be happy now. <laughs> You do have to work at it. It doesn't happen overnight, but it is possible, which means that the things about myself that I don't love don't have to stay that way. I can change them. And if I'm in a circumstance I can't get out of, I can change the way I think of it. So I, I think a, a smaller example of this um, I, I, so I'm out in, in Arizona right now and I met up with a photographer yesterday and she has a studio here and she was photographed by another photographer the day before in her studio by somebody who had never been there before. And she just kept going on and on about, well, not on and on, but like really remarkably impacted her how differently that photographer used the space. And she said it just opened up my eyes to like so much other possibility just watching somebody else work in the space and i realized like there's so much more i can do in here and create for people if i just look at things a little bit differently right and so that perspective is really how we shift and make those choices and develop those stories you know it, you learn to do something one way and that's just the way it's done and that's just how you do things and that's also how you develop a style too right like consistency and 
then when you realize like, oh, I can break these rules and create a different story, you know, choose your own adventure, um, then that's when things start to evolve and to shift. The same is true for, for life and relationships and everything else. How you look at it is what determines what that is for you. Oh man, that's so true. And it's, it's, that's such an interesting example as well, Kat, because I think, um, the way that that relates to how we think about ourselves, we just take so much of this stuff for granted, right? Just like you're the photographer you met in her studio. She kind of took it for granted that this is just the way that this space works. And it's not until you have an opportunity to change your perspective that you're able to see that it doesn't have to be that way. And I think that's so true for us as well, for our, our view of who we are. Sometimes it takes some extraordinary circumstance for us to be able to see that we can change that and affect that. And hopefully this conversation kind of opens up those doors a little bit for folks and lets them take a glimpse at that. Because if all I am is stories and stardust, man, I want to tell myself the best stories I can about who I am and who I can be. And I don't always have the chance to have another photographer come in, right? But maybe, maybe even a conversation like this is a catalyst to let people start opening those doors and asking questions. So I don't know if I've had enough coffee to talk philosophy at 6 a.m., but um, my question here is uh, kind of where, where is that limit on perception and how, how do we internalize that, I suppose? So like if you, if you walk like a duck, you quack like a duck, you look like a duck, but you say that you are an eagle, which one are you? I guess it depends on how long it takes for you saying you're an eagle to affect the way you behave. And then like, comes the issue of if, if you say that you're an eagle and you tell yourself you're an eagle for years and years and years, and perhaps you even start to act like an eagle, but you still look like a duck. And that's how the rest of the world perceives you is as a duck. Um, where, where, how, do, like, which perception is reality? Right. I mean, if you think of someone who is clinically insane, right, there's kind of this classic mantra that if you're actually insane, you don't know that you're insane because your reality to you is as real as everyone else's reality is to them. So how does that reality actually define how we function in a world full of other people? Because we can tell ourselves all the most wonderful things about ourselves and see ourselves growing in whatever fantastic direction. But if we aren't actually creating that growth in a way it's perceivable to other people. Is it real? So I think I, that's a really fantastic. Oh, go ahead. I, I think it is real, right? Like it's kind of like when you shift how you eat, right? You're like, God, I can't keep eating all of this damn garbage anymore. Right. And so you start just trying to eat healthier, right? Eating more whole foods and kind of processing and da, da 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 And then all of a sudden, like your energy levels shift, right? Like the physical pieces start to, to affect you. And so then you start making, you want to make other choices that are in your best interest. I think the same is true. Like, okay, I'm a photographer. When I started as a quote unquote photographer, like I was not a photographer, right? But I, because I was identifying there, I was able to make choices and possibilities opened up to me to walk down the path of becoming and stepping into that. So I might not look like a fucking eagle, but at the end of the day, if I behave like an eagle and I fly, right? Like then eventually I become, even if the rest of the world doesn't perceive me that way. I think that's such an interesting question and a great way to challenge this line of thinking. Um, and I agree with what you said, Kat. And I think, I think the end question really becomes, does thinking this way improve your life? Does it make your life better? Does it make you happier? Does it get you closer to your goals? Does it make, you know, the day to day way that you live better? And if me telling myself that I'm an eagle, even if other people see me as a duck, if me telling myself that makes me feel more powerful in my day-to-day -day life, makes me feel more capable, makes me feel like I can take chances I wouldn't have taken before, 
and step up into the power of believing that about myself, then it doesn't really matter so much how other people perceive me because my life is better because of the way that I think. Um, now, I do, I do agree, though, that at some point you do kind of run up against the limit of, of that possibility when you disagree deeply, right? With, with the perception that people have of you or um, when they disagree deeply with your perception of yourself. Because I might believe myself to be the best singer that ever existed in the world and I show up on American Idol and embarrass myself, <laughs> right? So that's, I mean, there's, there's some legitimate things there that we have to look at and ask ourselves, you know, how, how the... I don't want to call it necessarily objective reality, but how the objective realities become boundaries that we have to hit. Um, and, and even then, how can we, maybe I can't necessarily believe myself to be a Grammy winner, but um, maybe I can tell myself that despite what other people think, singing is a joy for me. And I don't need to let their, the way that they think or feel about it stop me from loving what I do. Um, so maybe there are some limits, but I don't think that those limits necessarily invalidate our ability to affect positive change by changing the way we think, if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. And I don't especially have a, a strong opinion either way. And I do absolutely think that there is power in the way that you speak to yourself and the way that you self-identify um, and how that can shape who you are as a person, like absolutely, 100%, definitely. Um, my just initial thought from the beginning of the conversation kind of went to this good versus evil scenario of like, when, when do the things that you say and identify with stop being true in that larger objective reality? But so just, just a question there. Yeah. No, I think it's a good one. It's a good challenge to to ask yourself because of course of them um, what's that saying your 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 rights end where somebody else's rights begin. Um and that's kind of true for the reality that we live in as well because other people get to define the edges of of our reality. And the way that they treat us and respond to us obviously really makes a difference in what we're capable of, what we can do, all of those things. So it's, I think it's a super legitimate question to ask. So I noticed that we had Wynn raise his hand. Carol had her hand up as well. I just didn't get a chance to grab her. So Nicole, um, just, yeah, go before ahead. we jump over to Wynn, I just wanted to challenge you on something you just said, um, which was others get to kind of define what our reality looks like. Um, and forgive me if I misquoted you right there, but it just, it snapped me out of a, a little bit of a daze. And I don't think that's true at all. I don't think anybody gets to define the reality that we're in. I think we all have our own separate realities and by kind of circling around each other, it creates this fabric of where we live. Right. But it's up to us to create the reality that we want. And there was a quote that I heard yesterday um, it was the first time I'd heard it. it. It said, you'll stop thinking and caring so much about what other people think of you when you realize how seldom they do. Right? So what I took from that is, you know, yeah, we're in this material kind of reality, but what we shape for ourselves is paramount to anybody else. That's not saying like you, you know, you violate someone's rights. That's not what I'm saying. But I, I don't think anybody gets to choose what reality we're in, regardless of where we are. It's a hard concept to wrap your head around, but I really don't give a shit what anybody thinks about me in theory, because, <laughs> <laughs> because it's a struggle every day, right? We are influenced by everybody else around us and we are influenced and we try to be the best people that we can be. And um, you know, there is some shaping that happens there, but the goal is to not care about any of any of that and just live the reality that you want to live. You want to be an eagle, even though you got duck feathers, fly high, sister, right? But if if you just let other people make you think you're a duck, then you're not gonna go anywhere. You've got to break that cycle a little bit. But that's the only thing I wanted to push back gently on. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear what, what Wynn and Carol have to say. 
Yeah, I'm going to respond to that really quickly. Um, yeah, I, I, I might have said, I don't actually remember what I said. If I said that other people get to define our reality, that's not necessarily what I meant, but we do exist in common spaces, right? And so we both agree that the sky is blue and that pavement is hard and all of these things. And it doesn't matter how much I believe pavement is soft, it's physical effect on my body is still gonna be one that uh, I don't wanna have to deal with if I fall on it. So there are some kind of, and, and that's why I think Becca's question is a, such a great one is because there are some limits somewhere. And you know, my belief in my, my eagleness is going to run up against a barrier eventually when I try to do something of which other people do not believe I'm capable and will not make allowances for, if that makes any sense. Not to say that I shouldn't still try to grab onto that and hold it in as many ways as possible, um, but at some point there is, there is some limit, some boundary somewhere. And that question, you know, Becca's question, like where, how do we find that and how do we internalize it, recognizing that we absolutely have influence over who we are, what we believe, the reality we exist in, but there, there are some kind of boundaries. I'm definitely not floating into space, no matter how much I believe I was going to. So how do we, how do we marry those things together, right? And be able to affect that positive change um, through the way that we think and the stories that we tell ourselves about who we are while also recognizing that there are some limitations on how far that's going to be able to take us, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I need to chime in, and I'm sorry for making Win and Carol wait, but I want to kind of gently push back on the back pusher and back and forth and back and forth, because although I agree that we we have the right to do whatever we want. We don't need to be doing what other people want us to do and so on and so forth. But I don't believe we should totally dissociate ourselves uh, from other people's opinion because we are social animals. We do live in the same space as, as Nicole just said. And a lot of the feedback that we get about other people's, about our, our personality and how we're like does come from other people. And we have a choice of doing whatever we want with that feedback, but we can live in a bubble and, and believe certain things about us and tell ourselves story. But it's so valuable to get feedback from others in, in social, business, whatever uh, uh, context uh, that would allow us to grow and recognize and maybe hit us in the face once in a while. Uh, I remember I had an epiphany about, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago when I was working in and I got direct feedback from two the two highest guys in the company, the CEO and, and, a, and, and one of the guys that works for him. And it was jarring feedback about my personality and what they perceive in me. And, it, and I was totally oblivious to it. And it kind of a, it was a moment that defined my improvement plan going forward because it hit me in the face and it was so obvious. And, it's, and then I chose that I don't want to be that way. And I still struggle with it till today as much as I'm familiar with it. So all I'm trying to say is that, you know, we, we can't totally isolate ourselves and separate from self, from self from feedback and what other people's perception, because it is a form of growth and it is, it is a form of, of actionable feedback. To complicate that even further, Bassam, because that, that's an excellent point and that's kind of the crux of the problem, right? At what point do we even cease to exist outside of other people's perceptions of us even um i don't know if you guys have seen the movie coco uh it's a beautiful animated movie and if you haven't seen it and want to go cry your eyes out go watch it but anyway a, a large aspect of this movie is that even in the afterlife uh your your spirit will cease to exist when no one in the living world even remembers you anymore and i mean i a large part of that is true. I mean, does our legacy exist if no one remembers it? Does our personality and our identity and our self even exist if no one is there to perceive it? Um, so, I mean, if we're complicating things further and, you know, walking like a duck, quacking like a duck, looking like a duck, telling ourselves we're an eagle, but everyone else is perceiving us as a bluebird, then, I mean, what does that do for our identity? Um, so that level of perception by other people, we're never going to fully know how we are perceived by other every other person in the world. We just never are going to know that. So we're never going to know 
exactly what kind of bird that people truly see us as and that the world truly sees us as. It's complicated. It is. And I guess that comes to the question too of um, does their perception actually even alter our reality? Does it come in contact? Does it change how we live and how we affect uh, our environment and who we are and all those things? So I want to make sure Wynn has a chance to share. And then Carol, um, and we have some other hands up as well. We're going to grab you. But Wynn, please go ahead. I'd like to uh, revisit the, the duck and eagle analogy a little bit and uh, reference a couple of uh, uh, one one is a book and another is a piece of music. But first of all, if you are a duck who thinks you're an eagle, you at the very least be the biggest, baddest duck in the universe. You will be the, the duck that flies the highest, flies the fastest, the fiercest duck the world has ever seen. And if your perception is that of an eagle and their perception is only that, of a powerful duck, it still sets you apart from the rest of the ducks. The pieces uh, that reference this whole thing that we're talking about, if you've ever read the book, Jonathan Livingston Seagull, you can understand that the perception of who you are is most of what you are. And if you've ever listened to any of Harry Chapin's music, when you brought up being a singer, uh, Nicole, it, it, it drove that home to me, that f every singer has a stage on which he can perform. No matter if you are Caruso or the biggest loser at the karaoke bar, every singer has a, has a song to sing and whether you have the technical ability, well, that's something you can learn. Uh, you know, I made my living as a singer for a while. I'm not the world's best. I'm adequate. But there's a stage for me to perform on, and if I, I need only to find that stage to be the best singer those people have heard today. And that's enough for me. Uh, I am the best photographer that my clients have been to today. And I try my best to be the best photographer I can be every day. And uh, that, has that has been a path to success for me. The striving for excellence, the striving for a duck to be an eagle. You know, the duck is going to find that, no, he can't fly as high, he can't see as well, he can't, uh, he certainly can't kill a rabbit for lunch, but he can be the duck that flies the highest, the duck that is the strongest minded, the duck that other ducks look up to, and in his own little world, he can be the boss duck of the pond and, uh, and be successful at it. And the, whatever mindset you bring to who you are is a very large part of who you will be perceived as. And so the duck that thinks he's an eagle has an advantage over the other ducks. At least that's the way I see it. Hopefully that made a little bit of sense. I love that win. And I like this idea. Um, and I know this is this is something I've said before, but, um, you know, your thoughts lead to your beliefs, your beliefs lead to your actions, your actions lead to your destiny. There's a million different quotes that are the same, the different ways to say the same thing. But what it comes down to is what you tell yourself, you believe and what you believe you become. And what you become affects the way other people perceive you. And when they perceive you that way and you believe it to be true of yourself all of a sudden now there's power in that power to move forward affect change all of those good things so um i have this picture in my head now of this duck <laughs> i'm going to be carrying that with me for the rest of the day um carol want to hear from you and i keep trying to bring up bring you up curvy but for some reason it's just not working for me maybe one of the other mods can grab you Carol, please go ahead. 
Sure. Um, just briefly, sometimes when you can't pull people up, if they leave the room and come back, it works. I've seen that in other rooms. Anyway, um, what I was going to talk about is um, the change of perception. Like if, like say a juvenile offender, if they would simply, rather than sentence them to all these years in prison, or whatever, have them spend a week there, and then when they leave, they w their change of perception of of what they're getting themselves into would totally affect their behavior. And then it makes me think about The Secret Millionaire. It was a show. Man, I loved it because it was people that were millionaires that were kind of sentenced to live in this space that someone else did with the amount of means that they had and to watch their eyes open as to you know they started out well i don't have enough money here to do my nails this week you know as opposed to oh my god i can't feed my baby pay my bills or you know see the doctor and and there's roaches you know um I just thought the eye-opening experience for them to get out of out of their world and see this world that exists every day, they pass by every day, and they don't have a clue about was really interesting. And then lastly, um, I got to live in England for four years, and it was eye-opening to me because I learned so much about politics, history, and geography that I didn't know before. And it occurred to me, if there's a war going on in the state next to you, you're not only going to have an opinion about it, you're going to know everything about what has happened before and be active in, you know, um, what what the stakes are with with that situation. So, yeah, I'm. I don't know how to apply that to me at this point because I think I do need a change of perception. I, I don't know, but it's it's kind of got me thinking a little bit. Thanks. I'm done. Herbert, please go ahead. Hi guys. Um, can you hear me? Yep, we got gotcha. you. Okay. So I, I think this is a, a very interesting conversation. Um, for me, I tend to think that most things in life, there's some sort of balance. And I, I definitely feel like there's room to have multiple realities coexist, right? If, if you're in your, your hometown, for example, you might be a different person because of the way everyone perceives you in your hometown but you you go to college and if we take like a sports analogy you know you're a big big um, person on campus you're a different your reality is different in that space so you can be you can be a fish somewhere else so it's about like finding that right balance being constantly aware of what surroundings you're in and how to adapt to that surrounding. Ooh, that's a great observation. And I think you've kind of brought up the crux of Becca's question and where those, where our perception of who we are and other people's understanding of who we are collide and the way yeah. that we respond to other people's perceptions of us. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. It's really weird for me um, when I will meet somebody who's been following my work for a while and in their mind, they've built up a picture of who I am. And if that doesn't align with what I believe to be true about myself, um, when they talk to me, it's incredibly uncomfortable because in their head, they've kind of, they've pedestalized me a little bit. And of course I don't see myself that way. So it's really difficult to make those realities match one another. Um, and once we've gone off and experienced what it's like to be an eagle and we go back home and everybody sees us as a duck, <laughs> um, those, those two realities really do clash. So it's, it's interesting to ask ourselves, um, with those multiple realities and versions of ourselves existing, 
what do we do? How, like, what do we do about those things? Do we hold on to what we believe to be true about ourselves, Or like Bassam mentioned, do we choose to say, you know, here's people I respect and this is what they perceive about me. And so there is something that's going on that allowed that perception to happen. Do I want to address that and believe that to be true? Or do I want to deal with the consequences of not addressing it and whatever that means for those people um, and I have a, you know, a great example of that. If you have ever had a disagreement with a friend and in your position, you believe you've been completely reasonable and from their position, their response to you is that that was an unreasonable thing to do. You have several options there, but I think one of the most important ones is to recognize that their response to you is only in part to what you've done. The other part of their response is going to be whatever they've been through that day and their beliefs and all of those other things. So there's a there's a overlap between the reality we we perceive and then how that reality affects other people and comes back to us. So it's it's an interesting one. Ooh, I like it. Cicela is up with us as well. Cicela, what are you thinking? Well, something Kevin said. Um how we are perceived differently in different spaces. Now, that is something that to me is incredibly um, interesting because I'm bilingual and I live in a different country from which I was born. Um, so, and I often talk about this with people back home and here that my humor is different in Danish. My, my, the way I, um, I act and, and talk and speak and all these different things are different depending on which language I'm speaking and where I am in the current moment. And interestingly enough, I think when I came here, I was very fragile in the sense of my self-perception was fragile. So I was very easily influenced by the world around me. So suddenly, instead of coming and having this very strong idea of who I am and what I'm going to do, I let myself be influenced by how people perceived me and how I thought I needed to be perceived to achieve success. Um, so to me, it's incredibly interesting to see how all these different factors in our lives, such as language or location, culture, um, influence how we are perceived. I can often, frankly, when I say something that uh, isn't necessarily common around here, I can say, oh, I'm Scandinavian. And people are like, oh, right, she's Scandinavian. That's why. That's okay. You're Scandinavian. So we can use not, not we can we can use the the idea that other people have around certain things like being a Scandinavian. And we can use that to change and shape how people see us. And I think that if you become aware of who you are and who you want to be, and you your own eagleness shines through um, within yourself, You're, you have a strong awareness of that, then you can go and I wouldn't call it play, but you can you can work on how people perceive you and you can you can um, influence how they perceive you through your language, through your, your body language, through certain things that you know are influencing them, such as, oh yeah, Scandinavians, that they, they act like this, they talk like this, they have this. Um, so I just find it incredibly interesting uh, how perception is such a moldable thing, a moldable way of shaping reality. This is such an incredibly interesting conversation. I really, I love being able to explore this and hear these different points of view because my belief that we truly are malleable and that we get to decide and that we get to alter our perceptions in order to make the world around us look and feel more like we want it to um, is something that helps me in my life. But I love exploring where the end of that is and and where that butts up against other people's realities. So it is time for final thoughts. Um, I want to make sure that we, we have a chance to cover all of these things before the end of our hour. So beginning with my, my question and my supposition, all we are is 
stories and stardust, how do we take that and recognize the limitations of that thought, but then also make the most of it? You know, I think I started the beginning of this hour kind of out there. <laughs> I was a little bit off in left field and I completely recognize that. But I think the conversation itself has been really amazing. I think when it comes to stories and stardust, the, the, the way that we shape our own perceptions, the way we shape our own reality comes down to us. And the, the crux of that being, we have to start asking ourselves the question, who am I? What, it, what is it that I am? And from there, you get to go down all these tributaries and figure out how you want to shape your reality and what you think of people's perceptions. But you can't just start in the middle of the movie and be like, oh, this is the way it is, apparently. You really do have to start asking yourself those deep questions. That's going to be different for everybody. So I think it all starts there. And this is why we're all different. This is why we all have these thoughts and it's a wonderful thing. Um, but you have to ask those questions first before you can come to any answers and even be able to discuss this, this sort of thing with any fervor. So I appreciate everything that everybody said because they've all been asking themselves those questions. It's great. I think that, you know, determining how it is that that you show up in the world and understanding that you get to determine you know where where those perceptions start so i was with the same group of kids growing up from kindergarten into high school and i started going to a performing arts high school where i was half day with at one school and then we would bus over to the the art program in the afternoon and it was the first time in my life that i was actually with a new group of people and I, the assumptions that were made about me were suddenly they, they were different and i was able to show up differently sort of the way you know kerber was uh mentioning earlier and once i realized that i could change other people's perception of me simply by showing up differently I ran with it and I'm not the weird fat girl. Now I'm a human being deserving of, of respect and, you know, compassion. And then I made the choice to, to be at that art school full time. And then I could further change that perception by showing up differently in style, in languaging, in communication, in my energy levels, in understanding that the assumptions that were being made of me based on how I was showing up was allowing me to not be picked on and kicked and punched in the face and thrown into lockers and, and all of the things. And so now as a 45 year old woman, I realized that how I show up in the world will determine how people choose to, to communicate or appreciate who I am or not, right? So I can be an eagle if I fucking want to, and I don't really give a shit what anybody else thinks. <laughs> yes. I love that so much, Kat. And you really, I think, you really brought it home there with finding that that difference between the way that we perceive ourselves, the way that other people perceive us and recognizing that we have control, at least some level of control over the way other people perceive us and that what we believe we're capable of all of a sudden when we show up believing that about ourselves, who we show up as to other people changes. It's a really, really incredible thing to think about the power we have over who who we are. And, you know, we talked before um, when we were talking about, you know, building skill sets and self-esteem, we talked about the fact that when you start, when you start doing hard things and then you start seeing the results from that, it becomes this positive feedback loop that reinforces that you're doing the thing that you want to be doing, right? So you want to become a master photographer, you start winning awards, 
And those things are proof that you are doing what you wanted to do. And in a big way, that is what this relationship looks like to me when we start to believe that we are an eagle and we start showing up as if we are. And all of a sudden, people's perceptions of us start changing. When they treat us in a way that mirrors what we believe to be true about ourselves, all of a sudden we have this positive feedback loop and that makes that reinforces the truth of what we believe and just strengthens all of that. So, so, so interesting. I know how I want to close this conversation, but I want to make sure that we have some time for everybody to be able to share their final thoughts. So if anybody else up on the panel today has any more thoughts about this idea of who we are and how we determine that, um, please, please share them now. For me, this is Carol. I just wanted to say I don't know how to do that because it conflicts with the idea that I am completely honest and to try and act like I'm something different so that I will be treated something differently. I don't know how to do that. So I just want to leave with that. That honesty is the interesting point at all. Oh, I'm sorry, Wayne, go ahead. I just wanted to say that no less a personage than Benjamin Franklin thought that we made a big mistake when we chose the eagle as the symbol of our country, as he thought that the turkey was a much smarter and more capable animal and that we should consider that. And so our perception of what is to be admired might need to be at least looked at, if not changed, before we decide what we want to be. Becca, go ahead. Oh, everyone sounds so much more profound and optimistic than my own mutterings. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that level of self-honesty I find very interesting. Um, and we could go down that path for much longer than we have, I suppose. Um, but I, I was just thinking, I, I read a paper the other day um, actually about the relationship between addiction and identity and how for when someone identifies as an addict, they are much more likely to then partake in addictive behavior, whatever that may be for them because they've internalized that label for themselves. So I, I, I mean, gosh, there's like so many different facets to this. And I think like both Kat and Matt said, um, there is this level of balance, I think that can be struck. And we can learn how to empower ourselves to control that balance, if we will. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't know, the interesting one today. I appreciate everyone's insight. Um, I just wanted to touch on what what Carol said. You know, I, I think that it's it's also a process, you know, like it's difficult to just wake up one day and say, okay, I'm gonna act, feel, I am a millionaire today. You know, it's, it's, it's a process. So you start with things that you find to be true about yourself and that sort of balloons or snowballs as um, I think Nicole said, you know, once you start getting that validation then you get the, the snowball effect. So it's, I don't necessarily think it's being dishonest with yourself, with yourself. I think you start from a place where you believe this is where you are and you can get to that next step. And it's a process, you know, like we, we aren't static people. You know, we constantly change. We're affected by people, what we see in our everyday lives. So it's, it's definitely a process. Yeah, I think you're right on there, Kribri. Um It's interesting, Carol, that you use the word honesty. And I think, I think that is even something that would be fantastic at some point to just dive into because when we believe we're being honest with ourselves, often what we're actually doing is just reinforcing something that, that everybody agrees on. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, if, so I mentioned before, you know, growing up in poverty um, and everybody knew that to be true about me that was, you know, close to me in my life. And so we all agreed, right? Like we all just agreed that that was a thing. Um, 
and my idea about myself there and, and being honest with myself about who I was and what my life looked like. Um, if I were to go and be around a group of people who had no idea at the time that that was where I came from, they wouldn't treat me in a way that validated that thing. And all of the sudden, now the truth is open to interpretation. And as an example, um, sorry, I'm trying to think of a, a way that's going to communicate this properly. Um, where perception is concerned, truth is relative. And so as Kirby mentioned, it's a process. And if I believe that I'm a terrible public speaker and I behave like I'm a terrible public speaker, other people's perceptions of me will be that I'm a terrible public speaker. And we will all agree, and that will be the truth. But if I decide that I'm capable of being a fantastic public speaker, not necessarily I am the greatest public speaker that ever lived, because the reaction from other people is going to challenge that belief, right? they're not going to agree with me. And all of a sudden I'm going to have a hard time maintaining that truth. But if I believe I can become a fantastic public speaker and that's the way that I talk to myself and then I behave as if I can become one soon, other people's feedback will start matching what I believe myself to be capable of. And as those things support one another, I can also begin altering what I believe to be true about myself. So now that I believe I can be a great public speaker and other people agree because I, they're validating my belief with their response. Then I can start changing. I can, I can grow that up from there. All of a sudden, you know, now I can become, and now I am. And everybody agrees with me <laughs> because that that's the feedback. Not, sorry, I'm not using this in real, <laughs> in real life about myself. I'm just trying to use it as an example. So there's a balance there between, how far we go in our belief about ourselves, and what truth actually is. And the fact that that truth is malleable, it doesn't always mean that once it has been true, it will be true forever. It's true depending on the circumstances and depending on what we believe and depending on what the feedback we, we receive. So if we want to change that truth, we have to take those first steps forward, even if they're not big ones. And in that line, um, Oh, go ahead, Carol, and then I'll draw everything to a close. Oh, no, I was just agreeing. Sorry. No, no worries. So in that line, I'm going to bring it back to art a little bit and posit that this is exactly the reason visual literacy is so important. Because you have the ability to affect the perception of other people by the things that you include in the work that you create. And so when you, and, and it's the same that's true, you know, Kat just talked about the fact that this was true for her in her life. You show up a certain way, people respond a certain way, all of a sudden you find yourself becoming that thing. Those ways that we perceive reality, we actually know some of these things. Scientifically, we know some of these things. And so we recognize that you can affect the perception of people around you by choosing to include certain things in your work. So not only do we have the power to affect other people's perceptions of us and our own beliefs about ourselves, and the fact that change begins with the story you tell yourself and then manifests in what you believe to be true, which manifests in your behavior, which affects your destiny. And of course, the response other people give you. The same thing is true of our work. We have the ability to affect perception. That's what visual literacy is. It's recognizing that there are certain ways people perceive things and then taking advantage of those. Okay. So this is this question of who we are and then what we do about that knowledge once we have it extends beyond us as individuals. It moves all the way out into all the things that we do, including the art that we make. So it's a really fantastic thing to explore. I so much appreciate the conversation today and everybody's contribution to it because it gives us all of the subtlety that we want when we're thinking about things like this. And I would challenge you to take your thoughts about this and write them down somewhere or sketch them or explore them a little bit because um, this is one of those nebulous philosophical 
questions that could potentially manifest itself in really, really interesting ways uh, through the art that we create. So thank you everybody for being here today, for participating in this, even though it was, it's kind of an interesting one, but I love these kinds of conversations. I'm so glad that you're here to talk about them with me. I hope that you have a fantastic rest of your day that you will join us tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Mountain Standard Time at 6 a.m. for the West Coast and 9 a.m. for the East Coast. And that you will join us tomorrow evening at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time as we get together for the live stream where we will be announcing the winners of the Artist Forge Scholarship. That's right. You thought there was only going to be one, but we decided to make it two. So... You guys will have, those winners will have three hours over this quarter, one hour per month of one-on-one uh, -on -one and one-on-five mentoring with uh, members of the Artist Forge to help in the ways that you described that you needed help. So come and be there for that. And in the meantime, go make something amazing. We'll see everybody bright and early tomorrow morning. Thanks again for listening to this live Clubhouse discussion moderated by all of us at the Artist Forge. We hope you found the information useful and that it helps you gain a little bit of insight as to how you work on your craft. For more episodes, please join us each weekday on Clubhouse or visit theartistforge.com. Now go make something incredible.